Wow. So, we don't even say what country for their safety. And then, here we are. How are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? The world needs Christ. And it's, it's such a gift to be able to see young people grow up here and go out there wherever God leads them. It is so awesome. Um, next week, another country. Is it, I, I hope you'll come back and be a part of this. Like, where does God want us to be a part of his work around the world? It matters, right? The eternal destiny of people. Hang in the balance of hearing the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, here we are in this text in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible, let's open together. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. It's 46 verses. How long can you stay? <laughs> I've, made a, I've made a decision that there are certain things I'm going to be able to do today and others I'm not. But before we even begin, let me tell you where we're heading. We're heading in about 30 minutes to communion. The remembrance of the church of the death of Jesus. The time when we together eat a small wafer and drink a small cup to remind ourselves that Jesus died in our place. Before the church ever does that, we are commanded to examine ourselves and to eat the bread and drink the cup in a worthy way, a way that aligns with the purpose of the death of Jesus. We're to examine our lives and renounce sin and embrace Christ by faith. And just say, if it were not for the death of Jesus, I would go to hell. You can put it that simply, right? We would be lost. And to be lost means to be eternally lost. But Christ died for our sins, and we embrace him. Before you eat the bread and drink the cup, we're called to just say, Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior who died for me, I, I want to be right with you. That's where I want us all to be in 30 minutes. And maybe you've come into church today far from God. Maybe you've come in and you've actually been living in sin. Just like going for it. And my prayer is that as you look at the Bible and remember Christ, it might have a Holy Spirit impact in you to say, I surrender to Jesus again. And if you're out of fellowship with God, my prayer is that your heart will be drawn to say, I want to be in fellowship with Christ. And all of this is true because, uh, you know, we think about the world in which Tim and Michaela are 
it's hard. We have it easy. Wouldn't you agree? And we're soft. And one of the things that happens in a soft culture is we wink at sin. But we sang a song this morning that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're pretty casual with it. We, we say the words, and I wonder if we really understand what it means that God is holy. If he's holy, he cannot look on sin. He cannot welcome into his eternal kingdom sinners. If he's holy, there will never be anything unrighteous in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. So something must happen to sinners. And that's our text. And if you remember, the text is a comparison of an old covenant system of dealing with sin and the greater than way of Jesus. He's greater than. Would you agree? Now, I really, I want to just remind you that the Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 2 that God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, he commanded man saying, you may surely eat of any tree, every tree in the garden but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely... Let's say it again. In the day you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Genesis chapter 2. You break my law die. Romans chapter 3.23 says, for all have sinned. And Romans 6.23 said, the wages of sin is, is death. In Genesis chapter 3, there's this little obscure verse that says, um, after God had spoken to Adam and Eve, after they sinned and ate the, from the tree, it just says this, and the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Could I ask you a question? Where'd those come from? Where'd the garments come from? We're not really told. But something died that they would be covered. What turns out is that sin is a big deal to God. It's not much of a big deal here in the United States, but it's a big deal to God. And maybe this is just the one place where you can come and you get a calibration of how God thinks about his holiness and our sinfulness, and more, what he has done to help us in our plight. That's what chapter 9 is about. Chapter 9 is about the removal of guilt and the averting of the wrath of God. 
And it begins with a, a reflection of the old covenant system of dealing with sins. So verses 1 through 10 of chapter 9 says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in earthly places of holiness, for a tent was prepared. Here's a picture of the tabernacle. It's a picture of the tabernacle with some extra words on there, but you can see that what, what Israel was instructed to do was to worship in this tent or tabernacle. And there are two sections in it, as the opening verses of chapter 9 describe. And in the first section, there's a lampstand, a table, and the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. Chapter 9, verse 4, it has a golden altar of incense and the ark of the... Oh, excuse me. And then behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place. It had the altar of incense, the ark of the covenant, covered all the sides with gold, and which was an urn holding manna. And the, the ark of the covenant had Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. What are the tablets of the covenant that are in this Ark of the Covenant, Ten Commandments. And this was a system of worship that God ordained for his people. And above the cherubim, the glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And we're not going to talk about all these details, the writer of Hebrews says. But the preparations were made for the priests to make sacrifice for sins. And in making sacrifice for sins in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17, what we learn was that sacrifices would occur for his people, but on one day a year, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into this compartment called the Most Holy Place. This curtain covered it, and he would slip in behind it, and he would there make sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 16 tells us what he would do. He would go and he would get incense and he would slip into that room with incense and he would bring smoke into the most holy place because there was the place that was presumed the presence of God was. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The tablets were in there. He alone would go in there with incense and then he would go out. And outside, there were three animals. There was a bull and there were two goats. And he would take the bull and, okay, this is blood, right? He'd take it and he would slit the throat of the bull and together they would gather the blood out of the, the bull bleeding into a basin until the basin was full. And then he would slip in behind the curtain again and with the basin of the bull, he would offer sacrifices for his own sins. And he would spatter it on the mercy seat and cover the mercy seat in front, behind, around until it was covered with the blood. And then he would slip out. And then there were two goats out there. And by lots, one goat would get a ribbon around its neck or something to identify it. And the other one was taken. We'll put that one aside first. The other one was taken its throat was slit, and into a basin, its blood was poured. And the blood poured into the basin, then he would go in again, and he would pour the blood of the goat on the mercy seat and cover the mercy seat. Again, the only one behind the curtain doing this. 
And by this, he was atoning for the iniquities of the people of Israel on their behalf on the day of atonement. And then he would come out. And then there's this goat left. And he would put his hands on the goat's head. And he would commit to this goat all the other iniquities of the sins of, his, of the people of Israel. And then someone would take that goat out into the wilderness and drive it as far away. And it was the Azazel, the scapegoat. And the goat would carry away the sins of the people of Israel. And these two ways, the high priest would first offer sins for himself, and then he would offer sins in the most holy place on the altar for the sins of people, and then he would send the sins away of the people of Israel with a scapegoat. And in this way, atonement was made in the old covenant system. How you doing? You know, we don't traffic in sacrifice. We don't think about it. We don't think about what, what does it mean that something had to die in order for sins to be covered? Why did God do this? Two things were happening in the, in the death of the first goat whose blood was poured on the mercy seat. The payment to cover sin was being made. In the image of the scapegoat, the sins were being removed, taken away. Now, all of those things, our text tells us that they are but an object lesson. Look, look at chapter 9, um, verse 9. 9 9 says, which is symbolic, it's symbol. If you look at chapter 9, 23 and 24, you see the words copy. If you look at chapter 10 and verse 1, it's a shadow. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is all of this Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, everything that Israel did for all these years in the tabernacle of sacrifice was a copy of what was coming. It was a shadow of the reality that would soon be here and it was a picture of what was to come. You say, well, were their sins really forgiven? Yeah, the person of faith who offered the sacrifice and rendered the sacrifice looking to the mercy of God was told their sins were forgiven. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 summarizes it this way. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for life. That was the way God created the system of forgiveness. You say, well, that's, that's weird to us, yes. But it was a copy of what would be real. It was only the foreshadowing of that. But guess what? The real has come. That's verse 11. Let's look at verse 11 of chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing everybody securing eternal redemption. I want to give you three accomplishments of the new greatest last high priest, Jesus Christ. Number one is 
he has accomplished forgiveness and redemption through his blood. What the Old Testament system did to cover and anticipate a final delivery Jesus Christ has come to do, he has accomplished eternal redemption. That is God purchasing by the blood of his own son all who by faith believe in him, sinners who turn to them. This is the great achievement that the son comes. If you think of the picture of the the tabernacle going into the most holy place, it says Jesus went into the, the, the holiest of places, not made with hands. And he entered there not by the blood of goats or bulls, but by his own precious blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Again, chapter 9, verse 26 says this, but he, as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, not just to cover it, but to put it away by the sacrifice of himself. So we think, well, where is life? Life is in the blood, so when Adam and Eve sinned and God covered them, something died for them to be covered in their sin. What the whole system of the old covenant was that whenever a a person sinned, they would bring an offering, and that offering would die, and it would cover their sins. And now the great high priest has come, and that he has provided redemption through his blood, the sacrifice of himself. If Paul could summarize it, he would summarize it this way from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In Jesus, we have redemption. Let's read it out loud together. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. What you have is a great high priest coming into the world to be both the priest for sinners and the sacrifice for their sins. How is that not greater? Our title of our series is Greater Than. This is Jesus. And you remember who could go into the holy, most holy place? Only the high priest once a year. Let's look at the language of our text on what a second accomplishment is. It's actually entrance into the very presence of God. We've already seen in verse 11 that Christ entered the good things that have come through a greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. But chapter 9, verse 24 says, For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, not the tabernacle that was created in the wilderness, which are copies of the true things, but Jesus entered into heaven itself. So you could create a tabernacle, and God designated that that inside place was the most holy place. No one goes in there except the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. Jesus comes, blows up the tabernacle, throws open heaven, goes not into a tent called the most holy place, but goes into the very presence of God and there to his Father makes atonement for the sins of sinners by his blood. Into the very presence of God on our behalf. A couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus being a forerunner who goes into God's presence. A forerunner goes before 
guess who's going behind? He's a forerunner into the presence of God because there he made atonement for the, the one thing that would keep us out of his presence. There's only one thing that will keep you out of God's presence for eternity. Your sin. And we all have it. And Jesus came to deal with it by his own blood to redeem us and to throw open heaven so that into the very presence of almighty God, holy, 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 we could be there by faith in the work his son did for us. Remember where we're going. You're going to drink a cup. And the cup is a reminder that the death of Jesus is for sin. So we renounce our sin. We say, Lord Jesus, cleanse me. I want you That's the second accomplishment into the very presence. One more verse. Chapter 10, verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a, everybody, single offering for sins, what do you do? Sat down at the right hand of God, indicating that his sacrifice means it's finished done, complete. There is Jesus at the right hand of God because he offered a sacrifice for all time. He is seated there. His being seated at the right hand of God is a contrast to what the verses we don't, we're not going to read today, that the high priests of Israel would daily offer sacrifices for the sins of people, not just on the Day of Atonement, but daily they would make sacrifices, and they were always busy sacrificing. Blood ran out of the temple all the time for sacrifices that were made daily as people came and confessed their sins. And here's Jesus sitting down at the right hand of God. The work is done. You trust him? He paid for you the forgiveness of your sins to take them away, to bring you into the presence of God. There's one more brief note of an accomplishment of Christ through this great high priest who went in to make this sacrifice. And that is his sanctifying work. Look at chapter 14, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, you, you get the idea? The author of the book of Hebrews is underscoring not multiple sacrifices, but a single, a single, a single by one time. For a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If Paul the apostle were writing this, he would say, for by a single offering, he has justified for all times, those who are being sanctified. He has perfected, he has saved, and he has, he has forgiven the sins of his people who believe in him and trust in him. And his blood, 
His sacrifice, now sitting at the right hand of God, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know what that means? That means that if Jesus is your Savior, there's no more to do. When you hold that cup and you drink this cup and eat this bread, you can say what he said, his last words. It is finished. And I, Jesus, paid it all. And I cling to him. It says those who are being sanctified. So we're not all what we will be. But in Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins, we belong to him. And he is now working in us to accomplish by what he did on the cross. What happened on the cross makes the way that we can be sanctified. We can be increasingly more like Christ, our Savior. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, there has been this warning. Are you, are you a Christian? Persevere. Are you a Christian? Hold fast. Don't drift. Don't drift away. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. His accomplishments, his redemption, his accomplishment, his entrance into the presence of God, and his accomplishment is the sanctifying work. The, the section that we're in ends this way, verse 17 and 18. Then he adds, oh man, how about this? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Can you believe that? You can't save yourself. You can't keep yourself saved. Jesus paid it all. All you can do is cling to him. Where there is forgiveness of these things, guess what? There'll never be another sacrifice for sins. Jesus did it all. What do you say to that? Listen, there aren't a lot of places in the world that are saying about God that he's holy. His name is taken in vain, and he's just pulled down to a common, profaned level. There is a God, and it will be a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But there is a God who interceded on behalf of sinners to say, I love you enough to give you my son. His final offering will forgive your sins and, like Azazel, send them away. They're gone. And you cling to Christ. How great is that?